Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three row all electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Welcome to this edition of The Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Lorraine Sommerfeld. Some people wait all year for Christmas, some for Christmas, summer vacation. But around these parts, we all wait for the annual publication of the top 10 most stolen vehicles. Each year, Aikite Association publishes vehicles most at risk for Canada, and they break down the major parts of Canada as well. How did we fare in 2022? For answers, I'm joined by Brian Gast, Vice President of Investigative Services for Aikite. Welcome to The Driving Podcast, Brian. Thank you very much for inviting me. First, let's explain what Aikite does and what niche they hold within this industry, just so everybody knows why you're so smart at making lists. Yeah, absolutely. So we're it's a not-for-profit national organization supporting the Canadian property and casualty insurance industry, uh, combating all insurance crimes. And we do that largely through expertise in investigations and advanced analytics and uh, the relationships that we have with law enforcement, both nationally, regionally, and internationally, and then a lot of partners. And really where we're powerful is the investigators that we have. We're very fortunate across the country to have subject matter experts that are experts in vehicle crime, uh, identifying vehicles, looking for the true identity of these uh, these vehicles, and the ability to uh, recover stolen vehicles. So we're very fortunate to have the uh, teams that we have across Canada. Okay, for anyone listening, you can go and find these top 10 lists. They were re- they've been released for a few days as we record this, so you can go find them and follow along if you want at home. Brian, you're a former cop. You've seen firsthand how the evolution of car theft has played out. What's most striking to you, say today over, I don't know, 10 years ago, what's changed the most? Yeah, and I can take you back to 1989 when I first started uh, policing. It was a screwdriver. Uh, you break the steering column, you uh, turn the uh, ignition, break the ignition, and you start the car. Very, very simplistic. 2007, standards were introduced in Canada, mandated by the Transport Canada, and it made uh, all manufacturers have anti-theft devices, immobilizers on board all new vehicles. So the evolution... Uh, has really turned technical. So in in the last 10 years, really technology has uh, been the criminal's best friend looking for vulnerabilities. That standard has not been uh, modernized or updated since 2007. So all the modern techniques that criminals are using to break into the cars, uh, what used to take several minutes uh, to a half hour, an hour to steal a vehicle, 
now it takes as quick as 15 seconds. And I'm sure we'll get into the different types, but uh, it's really evolved over time. Tell me a little bit about the recovery of vehicles, because I think I know that's changed a lot as well. Do people, uh, you're going to tell me what the recovery rates are for different kinds of vehicles, but I always wonder, insurance companies, I think, wait 30 days before they'll admit that your car is gone forever and then, you know, give you a check. But do people want their car back when it's been gone and they don't know where it's been? Yeah, I mean, that's a loaded question and there was a lot to it. And uh, it depends. Um, a lot of the times vehicles are paid out. I mean, it's all about uh, consumer uh, satisfaction. Uh, sometimes it's a lot less than 30 days. It could be uh, several days uh to have a vehicle paid out um, depends how abused or what kind of damage is uh, is belongs to the vehicle after it was stolen. Um, a lot of the times the re- vehicle is uh, recovered after um, the payout has happened. So now the insurance company has already paid out the, the large sum of money and uh, they recover the vehicle. So you're right. I mean, recoveries are different uh, in different parts of Ontario, different parts of the country. It really depends on why the vehicle was stolen in the first place. And a lot of our investigations uh, internally and then working with law enforcement uh, really help us understand which vehicles are being targeted for export, which vehicles are being targeted for revinning, which vehicles are being targeted for chop shops. Uh, and then again, the list goes on multiple reasons why you would steal a vehicle, including uh, simple joyriding to uh, using it in the commission of another criminal offense. So lots of reasons and lots of things to dive into. I noticed in the list that BC is not in there. Is that because they don't record their stats? Like they don't for stats can either. I can never find anything about BC. But does that reflect similarly to Ontario and Quebec because of the closeness to the port or is it more a prairie? Like where's BC sit for theft? Yeah. So BC, obviously they do have, have thefts, um, not to the extent that Ontario and Quebec have. It is an interesting trend though. You would think vehicles stolen in the West would go out the West coast and vehicles stolen uh, in uh, central or eastern Canada would go out to eastern uh, ports. But uh, we are starting to see trends where vehicles are being stolen in BC and Alberta and uh, containerized and put on the rail cars and uh, transported by rail to the various ports in eastern uh, eastern Canada. So that's not suggesting that vehicles aren't being exported out of uh, the ports in BC because they absolutely are. But uh, I think it's a really, they have a solid network. They have um, uh, an end purchaser uh, in West Africa, Africa, parts of the Middle East, um, parts uh, throughout um, the, uh, the, through the Eastern side of, uh, of the globe. And that's really where they're, they're targeting these vehicles and sending them to. Okay, let's run through the aftermarket things because whenever I've been following this for a couple of years writing about it and I talk to you frequently and other people and there's things we keep telling people to do so their car won't get stolen but what it's coming down to is increasingly more expensive and invasive things to protect the car and we all know how I feel about that this should be on the manufacturers but what are some of the things that run through the list and tell me the things that people can do if they want to yeah, and uh, I agree. I mean, I think the vehicle in 
first place should be harder to steal. Um, and that's the goal to have all manufacturers step up and uh, um, build uh, bigger than the standard, higher than the standard. We want that standard to be modernized to uh, deal with some of the vulnerabilities. But until that happens, we do suggest what we call the layered approach. So some of them cost zero money, uh, a little bit of effort, but uh, no cost. And, and you're right, it progressively gets higher. And it is unfortunate that the consumer, uh, after spending um, tens of thousands of dollars on a vehicle, uh, still has to uh, uh, pay out extra money to truly protect their vehicle. So parking in a garage, uh, parking in a well-lit area, uh, lock your vehicles, make sure your windows are up at all times. If you have a, a two vehicles, and I should suggest or add that really the targeted vehicles are the push to start vehicles with the keyless entry, the key fobs, and uh, those are the ones with the, the significant vulnerabilities. And you'll notice on the Ontario top 10 list, that's every one of those top 10 vehicles all have that, uh, that push to start vehicle. So really protecting your vehicle uh, itself, um, never leave your vehicle running. Uh, you would think that would be common sense, but uh, it is tempting in the colder months of Canada to just run into the variety store or run back in the house for a second. Uh, obviously, it uh, opens up some opportunities for the for the criminals that uh, that might be lurking around. Using an onboard diagnostic port lock, so that's uh, one of the vulnerabilities of thefts. It's probably the most prevalent uh, method of theft right now. And that's where they're plugging into the OBD port to reprogram a key fob. So there's a lock that you can get that uh, that covers that uh, that port, so they're not able to uh, plug into that. And if they do pry it apart, uh, that would simply make the uh, the port itself uh, useless because uh, they would damage it uh, significantly. And using a steering wheel lock, using uh, something that has a visual that. Uh, I'm not saying it can't be defeated, but it's just one more layer that uh, the criminal would need uh, certain tools to be able to defeat that. And, My father's uh, vindicated. My father is vindicated when you say the club. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, what's uh, what's old is new again, and uh, they are effective, and uh, it's a really good visual. Um, and then there's a similar type of device that you can lock your your pedals, so if they do get in. Uh, they can't function the car unless they were able to get that uh, that lock off the pedal. Uh, protecting your radio frequency between uh, the key fob and the vehicle. Uh, that can be done in a few ways. Some of the new key fobs have an off switch. Uh, some go into a sleep mode. So it's a matter of uh, protecting that radio frequency uh, using a Faraday pouch, uh, anything to, pr to protect that signal. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in the house. It's one of the trends that we're starting to see through close proximity. Uh, somebody observes you walking away from your vehicle. Uh, there's also techniques that they're using to get close to, to the person, uh, close enough that uh, they can capture that uh, signal uh, through devices of uh, somebody else. They work in teams. Um, and then aftermarket immobilizers, that's uh, a Fairly high, highly effective uh, measure, something that protects, again, you have to do your due diligence, do your research on all of these. When I say Faraday pouches, everybody's trying to make money off of these. Uh, some of them you might as well be using a paper bag because they're not uh, effective at all. 
So make sure you do your due diligence. Same when I when I speak of uh, uh, aftermarket mobilizers. Look for a company that uh, and always work through a dealer or a licensed installer. Make sure you don't do anything that would void your your warranty. But uh, look for a good immobilizer that protects against uh, relay attacks, uh, reprogramming attacks, and CAN bus attacks. Those are the three that are most prevalent in uh, in uh, throughout Canada. And uh, I think those are, are good ones. And then if you have, again, it's a tracking device, uh, a tracking service, uh, aftermarket. And what's nice about that is it does help with the recovery of the vehicle. But what we are starting to see, some of the companies actually etch uh, notification or a symbol in the, in one, in the, in the windows that uh, alerts the, the criminal to say that this vehicle is protected by a tracking service and uh, they may be likely to move on and look for another vehicle, just not to go through the headache of uh, trying to uh, defeat the onboard tracking devices that were placed in their aftermarket. We're um, seeing a lot of insurance companies. I'm going to cut you off just for a second. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's insurance companies like Aviva and oh, there's a bunch and they are either recommending strongly or making people that have certain vehicles put on um, these tracking devices. And a whole bunch of companies earlier this year put like a $500 boost onto premiums unless you had this done. And then they'd take the 500 off or they'd pay to have it installed. So it's kind of almost a wash, you know, and how much it would cost the consumer to do this. But when we see major insurance companies saying the only way we can start to combat this is by doing aftermarket stuff, that was a huge sign to me that other parts of the industry are starting to move and say, okay, it can't keep going on the way it's going. And you talked about locking the, o the ODB port. What's that cost? A few hundred dollars? I'm just yeah. trying to give people an idea. Yeah, okay. yeah, it, yeah it's only a few, uh, one, two, three hundred dollars. I'm, I'm not exact sure on the exact okay. cost. I know. Yeah. yeah, there's different ones. Yeah. And I know that tag, that tag system, I think, is 600 or 700 and, you know, five years of monitoring. But I, I was reading that what some criminals are doing now is they know there could be locators on it or tags. So they're letting it cool off. They're putting a car in a parking lot or somewhere. Can you tell me a little bit about how that works and if it works? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the criminals, uh, they don't want the vehicle with, uh, with the tracking device. So we're hoping that uh, it's been effective in, in uh, other jurisdictions that, uh, and it's relatively new. And I don't necessarily endorse any one company. There, there's several companies that that, uh, that do tracking services. So I, I, again, I always recommend people uh, do your due diligence and look for ones that work for you. But end result, though, they are highly effective when it comes to tracking. Uh, and the criminals want to make sure that they're not taking one of those vehicles that uh, they're what they consider hard work is isn't lost by uh, being recovered or leading them to. Uh, their, their criminal operation. So, um, yes, there, there are methods, and I won't get into the, 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 the investigative techniques, but uh, uh, trackability. One thing I will say about it is I never recommend the owner to hop in their car and uh, follow the tracking signal, as tempting as it might be, uh, and putting themselves in harm's way. I always report that 
to law enforcement and uh, the coordinates, and they can use that as part of their investigation. Speaking of reporting things to law enforcement, what if I see a car sitting in a parking lot near where I live or near where I work, and it's out of place, and it hasn't been there before, and I see it sitting, and it's one of these hot vehicles, maybe technically, um, does law enforcement want to know if something is out of place. I don't mean an old junker car. I don't mean like I'm talking these ones that are so the big SUVs, the stuff they're loading these lists up. Is there something we can do? Can we help? Yeah, that's a great question. Great observation and a great suggestion. If, uh, if you see a vehicle that is uh, you've never seen there before and it's been sitting there for a period of time and it just doesn't feel right. uh, Absolutely. Call the, call the license plate in, call the, uh, the, uh, the description of the vehicle, the location of the vehicle. And uh, really it's the more eyes that are on this problem and the more evidence are not, and the more intelligence that can be gathered, uh, it is significant. And you might think that what's my little piece of information, uh, but it's amazing how sometimes it's those little pieces that can lead to things. Cause you don't know what that, if that was a stolen vehicle, you don't know what it may lead to, or you might not know if that's a piece of, a missing link of something bigger. So all that information is very valuable. Okay. I think we also have to talk about some of the headlines that have been growing in the past year, which is carjackings, which delivers a level of violence and fear, if you ask me, that when we think of car theft, we think it's pretty passive. And in the next half, we can talk about more specifically why it's not. But when it comes to my car is missing in my driveway one morning, that is aggravating, that's expensive, and that's disturbing. But when we see headlines like the Toronto Maple Leaf ripped out of his Range Rover, when we hear about carjacking, this brings it home. This is more personal, and it's been happening closer to home here in Oakville, Toronto, you know, across the country. Are, are, are these incidents going up? And if so, what's your advice for somebody, you know, who is driving somewhere? How cautious can they be? What should they be looking for? And what should they do? Yeah, it is going up throughout North America. And carjackings isn't something that we involve ourselves in because it is a violent crime. It, it's done. Uh, there's a, There was a task force that was uh, set up between the OPP and uh, Toronto Police and participating uh, police services. They recognize the public safety element to it. And I'm not speaking out of turn. It was, uh, it was reported uh, a few weeks ago uh, of the task force. So you're right, though. It is concerning. People are nervous. And the one bit of advice that I would give, maybe not from my, my present role, but from my, my, my policing days, would be be observant. Uh, if, uh, if you're pulling up to an area that uh, is concerning, drive with your doors locked and your windows up. Uh, don't uh, be, be cautious of, uh, of being tricked to get out of your vehicle. If it doesn't feel right, uh, carry on. And uh, if you ever do get into the a situation where you find yourself with uh, as a victim of uh, some aggression, uh, turn your key fob over. Don't fight back. Don't resist. A uh, car can be replaced, but uh, your life is very valuable. And I'm, I'm not trying to instill fear in people, but uh, just be cautious. And uh, again, it's not something that uh, in my current role that we're not involved with the, the carjackings because it's, uh, it's a very different uh, method of theft. And it's one that uh, law enforcement have taken very seriously. Okay. I'm Lorraine Summerfeld here today with Brian Gast. We'll be right back after this break with more on the Driving Podcast. 
Welcome back to The Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Lorraine Sommerfeld, and I'm joined today by Brian Gass, Vice President of Investigative Services with Aikite Association. Brian, you've called Canada basically a shopping cart for other countries. They pick what they want and thieves deliver after picking Canada, especially in Ontario and Quebec, clean. Explain how car theft is not a victimless crime, please. Yeah, and uh, it's a message I try and, and speak as loud as I possibly can, that this is not just a property crime. This is not a victimless crime. This is driven by professional criminals who are organized. It's organized crime groups with national affiliates, international affiliates, significant networks. These crimes are funding further criminal operations like drugs and firearms. Uh, these funds uh, from vehicle crimes and vehicle theft is uh, funding terrorist groups. Uh, we work with Interpol, and uh, they have strong evidence to to support all of that. So it is. It's the fact that it was 1.2 billion dollars in vehicles that were stolen last year. That money, even if it's a portion of it, going into the hands of criminals is is alarming. It's concerning. And it's a public safety issue because uh, not all of those, yes, the vehicles might be going out of the country, but the, the money, a lot of the money is staying in the country. Uh, and those drugs and weapons are, are being uh, fueled by, by these funds. So uh, it's coming back into our community. So it's, uh, it is definitely concerning and it is not a victimless crime. These top 10 lists show that thieves definitely favor a certain make of vehicle, the fancy SUVs for the most part and the expensive pickups. Why aren't targeted manufacturers worried about people just stop buying Range Rovers? Like after a certain point in time, after hearing as much as we're hearing in the work you're doing, why are manufacturers not addressing this at a manufacturing level? I, I understand they sell more cars if they do. But if I'm looking at this list, I'm looking at the frequency, which is the percentage, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I'd be scared to be driving some of these vehicles. I think that one of the best indicators as to how manufacturers are doing when it comes to uh, anti-theft, their anti-theft uh, uh, initiatives with the, the design and the build of the vehicle is our list and uh, looking at it year after year to see which vehicles are moving up, which vehicles are moving down. What, uh, I mean, that's a good indication as to what manufacturers are doing to protect their vehicles. Uh, uh, my wish, my hope would be that uh, manufacturers would look at this list and, and know that, okay, we have a problem. And, uh, and then working with those manufacturers, we will work with every manufacturer uh, I like to say the day that we're working with everyone, but uh, there are manufacturers that are are taking measures to to protect their vehicles, and uh, we welcome uh, every one of them to work with us and law enforcement uh, to identify the vulnerabilities to uh, make these vehicles and the onboard immobilizers effective as a versus uh, what's going on right now. Thieves always seem to be at least one step ahead. Is, I'm probably being generous saying one step ahead. It's probably more than that. Is, is it the same way they can hack my computer no matter what I do to it? Are we seeing that their brains are bigger than ours? Are, are thieves undoing everything that we're doing? Or is it getting closer at least? <laughs> yeah, one of the problems is they have no rules to abide by, whereas law enforcement uh, working uh, nationally, internationally, working private-public partnerships, there's information sharing, there's... Uh, there's 
a variety of hurdles where the criminals, they're all about to make money. They have no rules. They have no morals. Uh, and uh, they will do whatever it takes, uh, whether it's a theft through technology, it's a theft through violence or a carjacking. Uh, and they are smart. I mean, it's uh, they're looking vehicles over and they're stripping vehicles down to look for vulnerabilities. So it's... Uh, uh, sometimes we make it very easy on them by uh, leaving key fobs in the vehicles, but a lot of the times people have gone to the measures to protect their vehicles and they're still being stolen. So they are very creative. They are very adaptive, they being the criminals. And uh, I will say I've never seen as much collaboration and cooperation that I have uh, with law enforcement, uh, private public partnerships, uh, the government, especially in Ontario with a $51 million commitment for the provincial auto theft team that's supported and uh, with participating regional and municipal police services. And I think one of the significant things of that is the dedicated prosecutors. What we talked about just a few minutes ago about uh, these aren't victimless crimes, but looking at the organized crime groups behind them and looking for prosecutions and sentences that are reflective of the seriousness of these offenses starts to uh, be a deterrent that uh, Canada, things have changed in Canada. One, vehicles aren't as easy to get out of the country as they once were. Hopefully at one point we can say vehicles aren't as easy to steal as they once were. And if you do get caught, uh, there's a significant uh, penalty through the courts. For the first time, you've published a least stolen list. I love this idea, mostly because when I see the most stolen, I can, you know, feel relief that my car is not on it. But when you, when I looked at the least stolen list, I think people would almost feel a little bit smug and go, uh-huh, that one volt, one volt in Canada was stolen. So what stands out for you on the least stolen? Is it just because there's fewer of them on the road or is there something about these vehicles that jumped or is it still too new to comment? I'm really not sure. Yeah, it, it is a new list, and I'm glad you like it. Uh, it's something that will continue to evolve in, in how we uh, how we approach it. But uh, I would suggest, just because it's on the least stolen, has been really not as much to do with the quality of the vehicle overall. It's the uh, it's really the comes back to that demand. The reason that the vehicles on the top ten list are being stolen is that's what's organized crime. That is what is on their shopping list to steal. And at the present time, currently, those vehicles on the uh, least stolen uh, are not on that list. And uh, that's good news, obviously, for the people that are driving those vehicles. However, I always suggest even some of them, even though the numbers are very low, some have been stolen. So I always suggest uh, for people to use the same common sense, the same approach uh, to protecting your vehicle, uh, regardless of uh, if it is really prone to being stolen or not. EVs are a small but rapidly growing part of the market. Let's talk about why they don't seem to be increasing in stolenness. Nowhere to plug them in? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you, yeah, there, there are no, like, um, there's no EVs on our top 10 list. Uh, they're largely because this, this list, especially Ontario and Quebec, which really drives the national list as well, is stolen for export. So those are the vehicles that we're seeing uh, overseas. We know of thousands of vehicles that, that have made their way uh, across the Atlantic 
and they aren't EVs. Uh, a lot of it, you're exactly right. Like, where do you plug them in? There's not the infrastructure. There's not the charging. Uh, so at the present time, uh, they're not being stolen in the numbers uh, for export. And that's really what's driving our top 10 list is the export numbers. So when you, like Teslas are famously very hard to steal. They're loaded with cameras, both inside and outside the vehicle. And if someone gets near it and, you know, swears at it, it sends the owner a note, basically. Does this tell you that EVs are maybe, or maybe just Teslas, I'm really not sure. Are they being built to a standard that the rest of the industry should be looking to? Should they be trying to copy this? A lot of us are really worried about the the intrusiveness and the privacy issues with these very things because cars are, you know, recording and watching it. But if it means you can't steal it, I can see why people would, you know, look at a Tesla and go forget it and walk on by. Should there be a move towards that kind of uh, components built in by manufacturers? And I wish I had the answer to that because it was something that I would like to dig into, but I unfortunately don't have the answer to that to know when it comes to, uh, I do know that uh, they're not stolen often, and uh, I don't have a lot of stats to support it, but uh, definitely something that we will definitely keep an eye on as we move forward and uh, seeing the differences in the technology, for sure. One of the concerns I have when it comes to EVs is as we are selling more and more of them and buying more, more of them, I worry that they will start being stolen for the domestic market because of how expensive their components are. They don't have as many components, but when you read the scare stories about batteries and things like that, and I don't know if you can answer this or not because I'm asking you to just like imagine, but would there be a logical kind of line from this very expensive component that they want being stripped out. So I know they don't have, you know, charging infrastructure. We're not on the shopping list for export. Is there a chance the theft locally, can these thieves regroup and go after a different part of the market if it's there, if it increases? That, that, you know, that's a very, really good thought and a very real possibility. Um, they are creative. I mean, there was a day where uh, everybody was out stealing catalytic converters. And I mean, that's still the day, but uh, they, they were out stealing, uh, um, airbags uh, for parts mm-hmm. um, and it could be a very big market so it's uh, again I'm, I'm trying not to give people uh, their next uh, their next trend but uh, <laughs> it, it is something that uh, is, uh, is is to be concerned with because I mean it is happening now I mean I would say the third biggest bucket one would be export the next one would be reventing and then the third one would be uh, chop shops so stealing a car and stripping it down into parts and uh, selling it piece by piece, uh, very lucrative, uh, especially with the supply chain issue with uh, with parts. You touched on revinning, which is when a car has its um, birth number basically stripped and a fake one put on top of it. And I've heard that some of them are getting so good that even dealers are having a hard time occasionally. But if you buy from a licensed dealer, that's going to make a big difference when it comes to the VIN. Is that correct? Or are they getting past that as well? Well, you're right. They are getting so good at uh, finding the new VIN that they're going to put on the vehicle through fraudulent means uh, to the point now where it is slipping through even some of the licensed dealerships. So we work with uh, with OMVIC um, and other organizations to identify 
these fictitious VINs. So there's a difference between fictitious VINs and clone VINs. And again, I got to be very careful not to uh, be a how-to guide as to how to do it effectively. But uh, I will say that they're very creative on uh, obtaining the VIN that they want to use to be able to go to any service, Service Alberta, Service Ontario, uh, wherever the case may be, present a VIN that presents as real. Uh, it, it'd be obviously 17 digits. Every one of those digits have mean something. And it's easy when a, when a VIN presents as uh, problematic, but it's uh, much more challenging when the VIN repre- presents as a, a real or a good VIN. And uh, that's that's the problem and uh, working to combat that. Uh, there's a lot underway to deal with that and uh, trying to combat that because that is a very real problem. Nothing worse than spending tens of thousands of dollars on what you think is a good used vehicle to only find out that it's a stolen vehicle. You lose the money that you paid for it with and you lose the vehicle. So your suggestion of a licensed dealer is a great place to start because there are protections that way through uh, through OMBIC. Uh, Making a top 10 list is tricky. You always point out that the frequency is more important than the actual position on the chart. The CRV may be number one, but if you own one, there's a 1.2% chance that it will be taken versus number eight spot is the Range Rover, but that's a 3.9% chance of being taken. And I remember last year talking to you, the Lexus RV series, so easy to steal. And last year in Ontario, a 9.4% chance of being taken, which is obscene. Um, This year it's down to 3%. What changed? Is that Lexus? Is that the shopping list? of overseas, but from, you know, over 9% to 3%, does that tell you a manufacturer is doing something? I mean, and you raise a good point and that's a very good observation. And uh, when I, 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 I look from year to year, those are the types of things that really do stand out. And uh, the frequency is something that we thought would be good to be added to give a consumer the idea of, okay, what is the actual percentage of or percentage of risk that I'm at for having that vehicle stolen? So when you see um, decreases like that, there is some, in my optimistic view of life, uh, positive things are going on to make the vehicles um, harder to steal. Again, time is only the way, will be the judge of that to see how truly effective uh, the initiatives that uh, some of these companies are taking to uh, to make their vehicles harder to steal. But uh, you're right. I mean. If you look at the CRV, there's there's hundreds of thousands of those vehicles, and uh, proportionately, the frequency rate uh, is relatively low versus some of the other manufacturers with uh, much much uh, fewer of those vehicles on the road, and the numbers uh, proportionately are much higher. In a perfect world, how many of these lists would you like to be able to produce? And what information would you like them to contain? If there's no constraints on money or anything else, everyone wants to see where their car sits exactly. But we've like when you've included the least stolen this year, that's like a new thing. And I'm oh, that's really cool. So in a perfect world, what kinds of things would you like to be comparing or letting consumers see? Yeah, I think it would be good for consumers to see all vehicles when if you're looking for a particular model say a mid-sized suv uh having a comparative list to see okay what is the theft rates that are associated to those vehicles and help that them guide that into their purchase uh i think that would be 
very useful to the consumer. And uh, I think uh, really it shows the trends. Is the thefts getting harder? Because uh, really it's any, any vehicle with a push to start um, is susceptible. And then you're right, a lot, some, a lot of it lies on where the demand is and that can shift from one manufacturer to the next. But generally within the top 10, top 20, um, there'll be ups and downs from various uh, manufacturers, but it does give a nice, it would give a very nice uh, comparative view to see uh, class to class what uh, how they stack up to other manufacturers or each manufacturer. Because when we look at it now, you can see the absence of some popular vehicles. And it's almost like the manufacturers who are doing it the best are quietly going about doing it the best. And then we get all the headlines for the ones who, you know, keep dominating these series. So I feel like in a way, when you read the list, read what's not there. And then hopefully in time, you guys will be able to produce lists that have all that comparative, you know, detail in there. That's just me, Matt. Yeah. Um, we make, <laughs> I make jokes about driving a little manual transmission hatchback, which nobody would ever want. And even if they did, they couldn't drive it. Um, but all jokes aside, if you have a $100,000 vehicle, $120,000 vehicle, Brian Gast, what are you putting on it to protect it? Huh, there's a pointed question. So I will. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's an imaginary car. <laughs> if, if money was no object, and I'm yeah. not endorsing any one particular um, uh, method. I would use a OBD port lock. I would use a very good quality uh, aftermarket immobilizer. And I would probably, as a backup, in case those first two fail, I would have a, a quality tracking service. And... Uh, and then I'd park it in my garage and uh, hope that I could sleep soundly because uh, the chances of my vehicle being stolen is extremely remote. And there's that word again. And by the way, nobody wanted these key fobs. I remember 15 years ago when they started being all the rage. We didn't like them because we had press cars. There was one time that they did our press kit used to be on a USB thing and they made it to look like the key fob. Somebody drove 300 kilometers with the key in their pocket because this was before the vehicle would tell you the key wasn't on board. So back in the early days, we had all these things going wrong. I don't know why everyone is so addicted or attracted to this. I just, I would like a key. I think a key would be really cool. And looking at how easily, as you mentioned before, seconds it takes thieves to get into your car now, that's the biggest weak spot. I think if they went back to keys, we could address some of this, but nobody asked Lorraine Sommerfeld, so that's just fine. Is there anything else that you would uh, like car owners to know from AKT, from the insurance perspective, from law enforcement? Is there anything we can, is there anything we've left out or anything that you would reiterate? Well, I can say that Equite, on behalf of the property and casualty industry, is doing our best to protect Canadians uh, from vehicle theft. Uh, the fact that we exist is because of, of uh, the insurance industry. We think we're going above and beyond uh, what we can do to protect Canadians. And uh, we have the same call out for manufacturers to uh, step up and, and make their vehicles harder to steal. 
And I would say um, the absolute fantastic cooperation between public-private partnerships with law enforcement uh, and uh, CBSA and other government agencies, uh, not only within Canada, but internationally. Uh, if a vehicle it does get stolen, uh, our goal is to, and it is exported, is to bring that back. Not only does it bring back an asset, but it also causes a, causes a disruption uh, to the organized crime groups that uh, thought that they had uh, had won. And uh, every time that we can take something back from them, that's a great day. That's it for this edition of The Driving Podcast. A huge thanks to my guest, Brian Gast. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. Be sure to check out previous episodes of The Driving Podcast. I'm Lorraine Sommerfeld. We'll see you next time. Bye.